I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. Just a blank spot there. It was my uh, placeholder. It was my it was my ode to Nicolas Cage. Not the actor, the um composer. Okay, you got me there on that one. I guess we should let our ladies and gentlemen know that this is Future Quake, a Christian talk radio station where we take a biblical worldview toward issues of today. Mm-hmm. And um this is a very unique week this week. Yeah, I'm not sure what all what all we're going to get into in this one. Well, we're going to be talking to Elliot Nash, who is the producer of the new documentary coming out called Sycamore, oh, the yeah. 911 tragedy. Mm-hmm. And our topic today is going to be the ground zero sycamore tree and Isaiah's prophecy of judgment for America. All right, so we're this is one of the uplifting shows that yeah. we have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but uh this, you know, as I mentioned in the show, we, we hear, hear a lot of uh, things come across in the email traffic about, oh, this is meant for America in the Bible, and mm-hmm. this is a warning, and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of it just doesn't seem to be too weighty. But when you pointed this to me, and I looked into this, this was weighty. This was uh, some pretty uh, inspired information. Yeah. As, and I think as our listeners I. will find the same way mm-hmm. from a very interesting person. I'm. Um I don't know if I would agree with him on every on every point. I think if we sat down and had dinner, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we would find some points of disagreement on various top, uh, topics. But I'll tell you one thing: I am inspired by brother uh, brother Elliot. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something about uh, the seriousness with which he tackles these things that I just uh, find refreshing. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, we'd like to introduce that to our uh, listeners. So uh, we need to invite in uh, Brother Elliot Ness, producer of Sycamore, the 911 tragedy. And then we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not a sycamore, more like an oak. Bionic. All right. <laughs> Some foreshadowing Indeed. for the discussion yes, we're getting ready to yes. have. Uh, in fact, that discussion today is going to be another great classic future quake. It's with Mr. Elliot Nash, who is the producer of the documentary Sycamore, the 911 tragedy. And we're going to talk today about the Ground Zero Sycamore Tree and Isaiah's prophecy of judgment for America. And I just want to say, uh, Brother Elliot, it is an honor to have you on the Future Quake show. And I believe your message tonight is going to be very, very important to our listeners. Thank you for having me. Well, you have really uh, struck a chord with us. Uh, in fact, uh, Brother Tom here introduced me to mm-hmm. you and your link. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to your website, read a few things you had there, watched your videos, and uh, there was a real wow factor there. And it was something that, that uh, you know, we're always going to find stuff. Anybody writes a lot of stuff on these kind of difficult issues. We're going to find some things that maybe we have some little differences here and there and things. But but on your basic approach of what you've shown, it resonates so much with us and with other people on mm-hmm. our show that uh, I, I realized this was something that we needed to have quickly, uh, as, to, as Brother Tom recommended. And I so appreciate you coming on so quickly uh, to be on our show tonight. Uh, to begin our discussion, uh, could you please share with us a little bit about your background and your Christian testimony 
and what you're up to today. Sure. My background is exceedingly sinful. I came from a a weak and despised place in this life. My parents were not Christians. They're still not Christians, but I believe that salvation will come to my household as it came to Cornelius's home, and I'm praying for them sure. daily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up uh, watching a lot of violent and twisted movies, and uh, that was sort of my god growing up was the idolatry of Hollywood, and that led me into a life of drunkenness and fornication and drug use. By the time I was 16 years old, I was shooting up methamphetamines, and when I went to college, I was selling massive quantities of ecstasy for the Asian mafia out of California, and that's about the time when God found me. Mm-hmm. And he chose me, and he appeared to me in a vision. He showed me in spirit and in truth who he is, that he dwells in unapproachable light, and that he is love, and that his son is Jesus Christ. And I beheld his glory, and as Isaiah said, you know, my attitude was, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. In his presence, I felt so exceedingly sinful and condemned for the life I had been leading and condemned to hell when I saw his glory. And I actually asked him to take it away from me because it was too beautiful for my eyes to behold. It was a miracle, and there's no words on earth that I could use to describe uh, the love that God has for us. It's so great and so immense, Um, but I can't be silent about it either. And I, since then, he's ordained me as a, a preacher of the gospel in his kingdom. And I've been growing in grace and knowledge of the truth and repentance. He's granted me repentance of all those wicked things. And I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. And now I have a wife and three daughters and another child on the way. And we live in South Carolina. And we're just seeking first the kingdom of God, hoping to seek and save those who are lost and praying that God would build his church in our midst and that we'd see his power. We're praying for revival and being witnesses in these last days. Wow. Well, uh, it sounds like you certainly had a Damascus Road kind of experience with the Lord. And I guess it would be an understatement to say that uh, your lifestyle undertook a pretty big change when you encountered the risen Lord. Yes, I was born again from above, as Jesus said. And many of the people I associated with in that life would not even recognize me as I'd go out on the streets in my hometown to evangelize. So uh, he's he's given me a new nature, indeed. Glory to God. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord uh, for that. And uh, evidently, he's also equipped you and gifted you uh, since your time of becoming a son of God. Uh, And one of these areas is in the areas uh, that I've just become familiar with with you, is this area of of documentaries, uh, Christian-themed documentaries uh, that are available online. What made you decide to produce these Christian-themed documentaries and, and to 
go with that approach? Uh, I shared a little bit about my past and my idolatry of Hollywood, and I was actually going to school to become a filmmaker. And once the Lord got a hold of me, I dropped out. Um, but I still believe that he's gifted me with that form of communication, with visual aid, and I think it's a very relevant way to present material mm-hmm. in our generation and in this culture and time. Um, a lot of people that I'd run into witnessing to on the streets would talk about this film Zeitgeist, and rather than speak with each one for two hours, I decided to make a film with all the information that I could find refuting that film and just give them a DVD as a track. And um, much like the Bible, the Bible has been in different formats, like historical and poetic and song, prophetic, apocalyptic, different forms of literature. And I think that video today... um, can be a format in which the word of the Lord can go forth. Hmm. So I, I believe that, that is a gift, a talent that he's given me for his glory and his kingdom. Well, we, we certainly notice, both of us, the talent that you have. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing we've noticed in the years that we've done this show is that there are more people like-minded like you, uh, about your age, that are also applying these same techniques. You know, I think of Chris White. Um, who's a close friend of our show, also has a show on the Revelations mm-hmm. Radio Network that we're close part of. Close friend. He lives about four feet away most of the time. For, from you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you all are sort of an access over there between yeah. him and Tom Bionic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know his skills have been wonderful in this area. A number of other people, uh, Brother Chris Pinto, who will be on in the next couple of weeks again, does world-class documentaries, Christian documentaries. He's a member of our church body as well, too, here. So... Uh, I tell our listeners they better keep an eye on these activities. It seems like God's hand is in them and that God is doing something to affect a culture by what people like yourself are doing. And you have a new one that's coming out called Sycamore, the 911 Tragedy, at least as I see it listed on your website. Did I get the title right? And if so, when, when will it be actually released for the public? Sycamore, the 9-11 Tragedy will be released December of this year, 2009, Lord willing. Okay. So uh, this will be right on the eve of this when we when we hear about this, and they can, they'll can they be able to keep up at your website. Uh, what's the best website, by the way, for people to uh, keep up on the release date for the documentary? Well, we're hoping to have a website totally set apart and dedicated for the film, a static page, which would be www. 911sycamore.com or you can go to my website which is Mm holybibleprophecy.org and it'll be there too and if you don't Raymond's website is www.theshofar.org and it will be available there as well theshofar.org well uh, we'd like to have some of those web uh, uh, sites linked on our website uh, where this show is so people can know to get a hold of it um what inspired you to do a documentary on the events of 911 and and then connect it to the prophecy that we'll talk about here in Isaiah chapter 9 what what inspired you to uh even begin to go in that direction well um for the sake of clarification like i don't 
call it a prophecy. I do believe that it's definitely prophetic for these times that we're living in, but I don't think it was the intention of Isaiah mm-hmm. to writing about 9-11. But right. Paul said, Paul said, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Those are the things in the Old Testament. And the chapter and verse in Isaiah that's applying to 9-11 today is definitely prophetic and astonishing. Um, what inspired me, I first heard this message from a rabbi named Jonathan Kahn, and that was in 2005. And since then, Brother Raymond and I walked across the country, well, halfway from Denver, Colorado, to Washington, D.C. And before that, I was seeking the Lord, and he confirmed he showed me that judgment is indeed coming upon this nation and that 9-11 was a warning. But I was unfaithful to the message that he gave me. It was a very unpopular message when I shared it. Um, but he's since then called me back to that message. Uh, Raymond and I were going to a funeral in Missouri with some other brothers, and Raymond had picked up a more recent sermon from Jonathan Kahn where he presents this same message, but he had a more updated version with some added material. And we just fell in the fear of the Lord and realized that this is the message that God has given his watchmen. This is the word of the Lord for this nation. And as watchmen, as Christians, we need to be warning the church and be warning the nation of this message there were a lot of false prophets and false teachers after 9-11 who were saying, peace, peace, and that God had nothing to do with 9-11 when it says really clearly in the Word, in Amos chapter 3, verse 6, for example, if there is a calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Um, so Jonathan Kahn was an inspiration to me to carry on this message, and also David Wilkerson, Pastor David Wilkerson of the Times Square Church, was given the same chapter and verse of Isaiah um, in the month after 9-11. Wow. And so I think, it, I think this is a prophetic message that, that God is giving his people. And when we listened to that message again, going to Missouri, the Holy Spirit came upon me and inspired me, compelling me that we needed to go to New York City and preach this message at specific landmarks um, and to put it in a format which would be relevant that could be spread across the country and across the world. So we wanted to capture it on video as a witness. Wow. Well, this is something that I am anxious, just from seeing the trailer on your website, I am really anxious to see this and watch this and uh, share this with other people to see what they think. And I'd also like to mention that um, since 911 occurred, uh, we're sort of a, a, a byway or a, a cross crossroads for a lot of different people in the Christian community that send a whole lot of stuff in our in basket and email about 911 and warnings and prophecy and on and on. And I have to confess to you that some of the stuff I saw was sort of lightweight, and I just it just didn't take my eye. I'm very interested in the 911 issue of what happened there, and what we know for a fact and what we really don't know, and what the Bible would would lead us to believe uh, a way to interpret it. But until um, Brother Tom here gave me the lead 
for your work, and I saw it, I really felt in my spirit that this was just not like a lot of the other yeah. kind of lightweight stuff that came along, Good. that there was real substance yes. uh, to this. And I, I was agree. I was really impressed uh, of the gravity uh, of us being able to understand judgment and what judgment uh, c- could actually be. Um, in, in your paper, and there, you have a paper you wrote. I printed it off here. Uh, it's about 15 pages printed off from your website, holybibleprophecy.org, on uh, 911 uh, in in prophecy. Um, you you talk about there about the kind of sins that result in national judgments. Uh, could you share with what some of those sins are and what were some of your Bible references for them? The kinds of things that, that God says brings down judgments upon a nation. Sure, yeah, when we study the Bible, we see that God does indeed judge nations as a whole, collectively. And there are national sins that were committed, as we read through the Bible, that brought his judgment upon nations. Um, political sins such as broken covenants. If you want to research for yourself, Second uh, Kings chapter 24, verses 12 through 20. Attacking nations for the purpose of enlarging borders, Amos 1 and 13. Rejoicing at a nation's misfortune, Ezekiel 25, 6 through 7. Extreme savagery, Amos 1, 3. Um, national sins, such as perversity, bloodshed, murder, Lying, stealing, committing adultery, these all brought God's judgment upon the nation of Israel. Um, there were religious sins, such as refusing to hear God's word in Zechariah 7, 11 through 12. And hindering the spread of the gospel brought judgment upon Israel in 70 AD, after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. The Jewish leaders that opposed him and hindered the gospel brought judgment upon the nation and the destruction of the temple in First uh, Thessalonians 2.16. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fascinating if, if, if our, some of our more enlightened listeners, of which we, we're blessed with, with very insightful Christians and in our listeners, when you think about that list of things like enlarging your borders, I'm assuming that's more than just uh, looking at an adjacent country to you and expanding it. Anytime you expand a nation into an empire where you impose your will on, on people that are not part of your nation across the globe, I assume that would fall under that as well, too. Uh, and we look at the nations of the West. We look at Spain. We look at England. Now we look at the United States and the imperialistic activities we've had over our history. I can't see where that really honors God. And I know we've we've covered on this show how many times those imperialistic actions were, were because of the Babylon-based corporate system. Almost that were bankrolling. Yeah. They, were, they were bankrolling it. Uh, uh, broken covenants. Uh, every time... Our government and court system allows contracts, covenants to be broken where, that are not honored, uh, where people run away when uh, when they rip off other people mm-hmm. and the courts don't hold them accountable, mm-hmm. or when we break covenants with people like the Indians or other nations that we've made agreements with yes. and refuse to be a part of those. Are those the kind of things, looking in today's vernacular, are the things that we could apply modern nations today? To where they could fall under judgment? Absolutely, I believe so. And I think America is guilty of most of these sins, if not all of these sins. And so God's judgment is impending. Well, even when I see things like you point out, rejoicing at a nation's misfortune, 
and I think about the actions that 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 we had taken um, when when um, the Cold War uh, when when that came apart, and you know we're 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 saying hey capitalism wins, these other systems you know are down, or or even things at the end of the number of the wars that we've had back when we used to win wars. Uh, those kind of activities often we have rejoiced at a nation's misfortune. We've mischaracterized them, uh, and we are not stopped mischaracterizing people, whether it's people in the Middle East, whether it's people with different uh, uh, cultures than we have or things like this. Um, you know, th- that's one that doesn't seem very um, overt or invasive to rejoice at a nation's misfortune. But when God is condemning other people, whether it's an entire nation or even people that we know, That is not a time for us to gloat, is it? It's a time for us to look inward at our own sins and use it as a sign to us that we better get our act together, correct? Yes, that we need to repent. And God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's his will that all should come to him. Well, as you know, our nation is a real nation of patriotism, or what we call patriotism. And in fact, I think it can be a veil for arrogance. And in fact... uh, uh, as we've mentioned before, Tom and I both come from a conservative background in, in sort of a, a worldview, particularly socially conservative and things like this. But often there's a patriotism that comes with it that has arrogance about us being better than the other peoples of the world embedded in it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also the fact that if anybody starts pointing out some of the shortcomings of our nation, we call it historical revisionism. Uh, and revile that as, as uh, revising the glorious wonders of our nation. And uh, to, to me, when I look in hindsight of our history books, and sometimes what we teach in our churches, it reminds me a little bit of North Korea, like what we see the veneration of I the. Would say, I would say more like the, uh, the National Socialist Party, circa 1938. Yeah. But um. But but you know it's it's really arrogance. What we could oh, call extreme pa- arrogance. Patriotism yeah. and 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 in fact just the idea that our nation uh, is supposed to impose our view of things. And I'm not talking about Christians sharing the gospel across the world. I'm talking about a nation shedding, sharing their culture and form of government around the world at the end of a gun, even though we can tell ourselves that it means well. Mm-hmm. These can also be forms of arrogance that God does not shine light upon. Do, do you agree with any of this, Brother Elliot? Are we getting close to the truth of where things are today? Yeah, and I I believe as Christians we shouldn't have any part of the kingdoms of this world. Um, And God speaks about the pride that nations had in their national security, nations in the past. And it says that pride comes before the fall. So this is a dangerous situation that we're in. Okay. So so would you agree with us that when uh, we in America, particularly those in the church... Uh, see that we have something that is innately superior to other people in the world, and even if we have to take a gun or occupy a place to make them look like us, that can be the kind of arrogance that actually angers the Lord. Yes. Okay. Well, I want to move on into the details of um, of this discussion, but um, there's a few other quotes about this issue of the pride of a nation, and I believe Obadiah, has a quote, quotation in there about it that you've shared in your writing, and as well as Ezekiel 13 has some things to share from your writing. Can, can you tell us just a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, the quote in Obadiah was concerning 
Edom before God brought judgment upon that nation, and it speaks of their pride in national security. It says, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. That was Obadiah chapter 1, mm-hmm. 3 and 4. Um, Ezekiel sixteen forty-eight through 50 speaks about the judgment that was brought upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the reasons that God brought that judgment. And a lot of us think that it was just because of homosexuality, but Ezekiel right. lists many more sins. He says, look, this was the inequity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, an abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Well, you know, uh, describing uh, a people having pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Can, can you see any kind of country there, Tom, that would maybe relate to that description? I feel like playing Stand My Teeth theme song. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. Uh, you talk about having uh, the feeling of the eagle like, uh, you know, Edom has. And it says, who will bring me down to the ground? Uh, you know, we can ascend as high as an eagle. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have great weapon systems. You can have incredible technology. And it doesn't take much for the Lord to bring that down overnight. No joke. And as the scripture says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we'll remember the name of the Lord our God. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, uh, pretty stunned by the intensity of this of this interview, Bionic. Yeah. Um, he doesn't mince words a whole lot, does he? No, he's he is a straight shooter. Yeah. That's that's here it comes. It's right out of the Right out of the mouth. These are the words that I mean, and I'm going to use them. And a 180-degree turn in his life. Yeah. Someone thoroughly turned around for God's use. He really sets the tone of this of this interview with his uh, background. You know, when God gives people a prophetic word, he needs people that are grave and sober-minded. Well, he you got know? one with he got one with brother brother, brother Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But we look forward to see what you happen to say about it. We start. Well, actually, we ended the discussion a little bit with about the kind of sins that can result in national judgments. And I just thought uncanny how it sort of applies to where we are today. And he gave the scriptural backgrounds mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. And it's a very sobering word for us to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone else you need to consider is our friend Merv, who can tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's it. We're going to come back for tomorrow's section. Any last word on what you heard today? Everybody's everybody's sober-minded all of a sudden. Well, me included. <clears throat> listen to the whole week. 
mm-hmm. uh, catch the whole week yes. of interview. Uh, there's information in every one of them, but we've got to go. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Shalom. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Pretty heavy, bionic. Oh, you're not that heavy. You've lost a lot since you had that diet you were on recently, wasn't That's it? true. That's about 15, 20 yeah. pounds. But the topic definitely is. This is this is heavy. This is deadly serious. Because we're getting ready to start the second installment of our interview with Mr. Elliot Nesh, mm-hmm. who is the producer of the documentary Sycamore, the 911 Tragedy, uh, which is just being released. And we're talking about the topic of the Ground Zero Sycamore Tree mm-hmm. and Isaiah's Prophecy of Judgment for America. Indeed. Isaiah 9. We, we've not really done a show on judgment foretold for America, have we? No. A lot of them sound sort of trite. I've sort of stayed away from it, but this material was just so sound. It's tight. It's really it's really tight. It's succinct. I think it's inspired. A lot of times, I, I, would, I would venture to say that very likely is the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times when we do these, when I at least when I hear these other shows about Judgment for America, they seem to be, uh, they miss one or more prophetic elements within the scriptures they yeah. use. To me, they seem to be very simplistic and trite. And yeah. I'm not saying they aren't well-meaning by the people who do them. And, and certainly we, particularly after this, know mm-hmm. that uh, Judgment is certainly well-suited for our country. But uh, I just think this job was, this was done with evidence of inspiration, mm-hmm. and there's certain hallmarks that shows that God sent clear messages through what what hopefully our listeners will catch over the next few days. Yeah, yeah, we're really just getting into the material uh, today. We're going to talk about Isaiah chapter nine and some uncanny resemblances it has to our country. Indeed, anything to be looking out for coming up? Um, any jokes? Because if they're there, yeah, it's pretty serious it's pretty, stuff. Pretty, they're pretty scant. Okay. Right when you can, because here it comes. Uh, this is uh, our next segment, our second segment with Mr. Elliot Nash, producer of Sycamore, the 911 tragedy. And then we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. What happened in northern Israel, and this is the context for Isaiah chapter 9, it's, its original connotation. What happened in northern Israel in 740 B.C. and 722 B.C., and why is it important to, to us today? Well... The initial invasions and captivities in Israel began in approximately 740 B.C. when the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the eastern half-tribe of Manasseh were carried away by one of the first successful Assyrian invasions or terrorist attacks. And we read about that in 1 Chronicles 5.26. And in 722 B.C., not even 20 years after the initial deportations, the ruling city of the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria, was finally taken by Sargon II after a three-year siege started by Shalmaneser V. We read about that in 2 Kings 1, 3 through 6. And why this is so important, um, if we go back to the beginning of Israel and the beginning of of America, We notice that the promises, warnings, blessings, and curses were given at the threshold of a new beginning. For example, Moses at the Jordan River in 
Deuteronomy 28, verse 7, he said, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. So this Assyrian terrorist attack against Israel was a fulfillment of Moses' prophecy before the children of Israel went into the promised land. If they were to obey God, then they would be blessed. And if they were to fall into apostasy, then they would be cursed. And similarly, in George Washington's April 30th, 1789 inaugural speech, he prophetically warned our nation. He said, quote, We ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. So not only is there this parallel of both of these nations being consecrated to God, but there's this parallel of this initial invasion or terrorist attack. And whether or not George Washington and the founding fathers of this nation were true born-again Christians is not up for us to judge. Uh, we're not going to judge that time period. Um, it's said even by some that Washington was an honorary Freemason. Right. Mm -hmm. this, despite these professing Christians rebelling against the King of England with weapons of war and killing other human beings in the Revolutionary War, what's significant to me is that this nation, like Israel, was consecrated at its inception to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And America and Israel have been the only two nations in world history that I'm aware of that were consecrated to God at their inception. Hmm. And I believe that's significant uh, when we consider how blessed we've been as a nation, um, and Israel as well. Uh, they've been blessed abundantly in protection and prosperity. And I'm not saying America is a Christian nation. I don't definitely don't think it is today, and I don't think it was back then nor was Israel a truly Jewish nation. Like Paul said, a Jew is one which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is of God and not of men. Um, but I think with these parallels, we should expect to see a parallel in God's judgment upon this nation, as we did Israel. And the Assyrian invasion parallels the 9-11 attacks in a very frightening way. Brother Elliot, let me uh, just throw my spin out there, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because it's it's critical for our listeners to understand if it's appropriate for us to look at America in a way similar to the very special and unique relationship that the Lord had with Israel. You know, Israel, in Scripture itself, was the only nation, per se, that had a specific relationship with God. It had a purpose. Uh, it said through this it would be a light to the Gentiles. It would uh, be the uh, means by which the Savior of mankind would be born. Uh, it was meant to be an instructor to the nations of the world and to be an example that God would work through them. It says it was his portion, but he would teach the other nations. So, so Israel is very, very unique, and I, and I know you would probably know this as well as I, that we need to be very careful when we hook our nation up to other nations and compare them and say this is, you know, that it's equivalent because we can make the same mistake of arrogance that, that there's something unique about our country as well and therefore we, we, we're better than other people. However, having said that, there are some unique things to, 
to the United States. You pointed out some of them. And we have a lot of very learned guests and listeners who understand that there were people who were not all who they said they were from a Christian standpoint in our leadership. Brother Chris Pinto covers a lot of that. Uh, they, they sort of had a dual hat, dual role. And, and however it happened, we do know that there were Christian people that left Europe that were true Christians, as best I know, that came to worship God, that were a component of what became America. Uh, in other words, fleeing persecution to worship God as they felt God led them was a part of what made up our country. But but regardless of all that today, over our history, we have evolved into a nation that portrays itself to the world as a, quote, Christian nation. And we represent the values and virtues of Judeo-Christian worldview to the world. Uh, and so we take on that name of what God, what we know the Judeo-Christian God to represent to the rest of the world, at the same time that we export Baywatch in Dallas and all the things that we're best known for around the world, uh, as we send out our ugly American businessmen who who rip off and exploit people in other parts of the world. But we claim that we're a Christian nation and that Christianity is what we show. And we see the ramifications of that in the Middle East, for example, where in the Muslim world, they look at Christianity and think about, one, the Crusades that happened in the Middle East, and then they think about the decadence of America and picture that as Christianity. So I could certainly see that since we have portrayed ourselves as being a the, the model Christian nation, that we would be in store for extra condemnation uh, when we have been discovered that we have been basically hypocritical in, in taking on this mantle upon us. And also in general, uh, what God shows here and how he's had to deal with Israel is how he's had to deal with other nations as well, too. There's a pattern of judgment. And, and even uh, countries that have never really followed the Lord. I think about Nineveh at the time of Jonah. Uh, he still sent a time of repentance to them. And there was a, still a standard that the Lord used. He was long-suffering even with the Amorites. And the Israelites were in captivity for a long period of time because the Lord said that the sins of the Amorites had not come to their full measure. So there were time-given repentance for all nations. So I, I, in one side, I could argue that, that this is a good lesson that all nations need to take to heart. But America even more so because of this unique, unique relationship we have used to portray ourselves as a Christian nation. I know that is a mouthful, but would you generally agree with the assertions that I made? Yes, I think it's really unfortunate. Um, for example, my brother just got back from India doing missionary work there, and they're of the mindset that everyone in America is a Christian, and uh, American is not synonymous with Christian. And where I live here in South Carolina, everybody thinks they're a Christian. Right. Yeah. But they haven't been born again. And I think we're dealing with a similar struggle that was current in the nation of Israel. Um, and that was that everybody knew who God was. People here know who Jesus Christ is, but they haven't been born from above. Um, and just like it was in Israel, there was a remnant, which was in part, what the whole nation was supposed to be in theory. And there's a remnant here today. And I don't believe that God had a specific purpose with America as he did with Israel. I mean, of course, he has a purpose with America, but it, it, Israel's relationship to God was totally unique than any other nation um, before us or after us or ever will be. Um, but his 
God's nation is the church, and right. that his people are set apart right. all over the world. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I think should be obvious to all of us is that because of this association we've had with uh, the Christian worldview in our country, we have enjoyed the privileges for the history of our nation, the protection of God, uh, averting disasters. We, we've had some disasters. We've had Pearl Harbors. We've had blights and things that have hit us, but but really not to the scale of countries in Europe, for example, or, or in Asia or elsewhere. We've had a time of great protection. But when you make that association, there's also a great responsibility. And when you do that and you represent the name of God, and then you don't represent his character and nature, the judgment can be very, very severe. And it's not just true for our nation. It's true for us as individuals as well. And I'm so thankful that as a Christian, I am brought into the family as a son and daughter. And I have to be concerned now about the chastising rod and not the overt judgment. But uh, when it comes to groups and institutions, even Christian groups and institutions, uh, the, the Lord says there are certain branches, if they're not producing, he, he has to cut them off. He has to prune them. And so it's a serious matter when we take on the mantle of representing God and his nature to other people, whether it's an entire nation or whether it's an organization or even us ourselves. What do you think, Tom? Um, I would agree with all that stuff, actually. It's, it's so... It's so sad, uh, to be completely honest, to uh, to see our nation miss this very obvious point that, look, God has blessed us abundantly. God has done some incredible things for us as a nation, and you know, even for myself individually. Uh, and so many people take that for granted. They sort of run off and do their own thing, and do, in some cases, take what God has given them and do something incredibly sinful with it. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse than if they'd never been associated with the Lord It's like in many respects. It's like taking a, a pot full of yummy vegetables and throwing the pot at your neighbor or something, you know? Yeah, I never would have made that analogy. <laughs> okay, all right. So, so glad I asked you. Right. Hey, uh, Brother Elliot, would you uh, sort of lead us into the detailed analysis of this passage by... Um, Reading this key passage in Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll, we'll go back and follow it piece by piece. But could you read the section in chapter 9 about God's judgment and the response of the people? We, we've laid it out, and I want to, just before you start that, I just want to remind them. We're, we're talking about raids that began by Syria into Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, they took over two, the area of two tribes in 740 B.C., uh, and then... Um, there was a time of potential repentance, and then in 722 B.C., uh, they sealed the, do, the deal with the entire nation. And, and something that you that you wrote on here in your writing, it says, Only the coast of the land of Israel were touched in the first attack, and suddenly Israel lost its sense of security. Now, now think about this, about our nation after 911, okay? Uh, an attack had never happened in this measure before in Israel. Nevertheless, it was limited damage, and the heartland wasn't touched. In it, God was speaking to Israel, but Israel missed the the message. And in the midst of the turmoil, the collapsing buildings uh, and chastening uh, of the hand of God. So could you go on and read that passage in chapter 9, please? Sure. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 8 through 10. The Lord sent a word against Jacob. And it has fallen upon Israel. All the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, 
who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. And if I could read from the Septuagint version as well, that's the right. Greek translation of the Hebrew text. It says, the Lord has sent death upon Jacob, and it has come upon Israel, and all the people of Ephraim, and they that dwelt in Samaria shall know, who say in pride and lofty heart, the bricks are fallen down, but come, let us hew stones and cut down sycamores and cedars, and let us build for ourselves a tower. Okay, let that passage burn in your mind, ladies and gentlemen, as we proceed mm. to look at these individually. Think about the ancient context. Think about where we are as a nation. And uh, you've mentioned here as a preamble that the Lord sent a word. God has never left his people clueless in a time of disaster. We, we don't have to be scratching our head to understand the significance of it. Uh, back then, they had the prophets that would tell them the latest word from the Lord. We now have the word of the Lord in written form that we can actually look and find. Since God has not changed, his methods are the same. We can actually find this out. And, and, and this association we'll talk about. You know, the, the smoke has cleared literally and figuratively from 911. It's a number of years back, although the legacy in terms of the, the police state we have here, the overt uh, taking away of our civil rights and freedoms, marching all over the globe, that's still with us. But uh, as you said earlier and alluded to, Christian leaders who associated this with judgment, they were so fiercely attacked, not only by the mainstream media, but by other Christians, mm -hmm. that they had many of our top Christian pe people, like Jerry Falwell and other people, were backpedaling and were actually apologizing for their comments about judgment upon our nation right. that came from this. I remember watching, a, watching uh, riding around on a streetcar in Louisville, actually, um, and watching, watching sitting there on the streetcar, and uh, or, I, well, city bus. It was like kind of one of them historic-looking looking things. And uh, we're sitting there riding around, and this uh, somehow the subject comes up, and this guy in the back, quite just he just blurts out, he said, "Look, that's God's judgment for the sinful sinfulness mm -hmm. of this of this land." And uh, some other guy stood up, he said, "Look, I'm a Christian, and I don't think that that's appropriate," mm -hmm. and was like yelling at him and stuff. And not being a Christian at that time, that was all very right. why would God very want to judge weird. us? I mean, you know, <laughs> that was we're very his, weird. We're his crown jewel. How, how could he be judging us? Uh, let me ask you, um, Elliot, um, what do some of the most preeminent Bible commentators say about this passage and God's process of incremental judgment and the intervening times of repentance that he gives? Uh, well, for the sake of time, maybe I'll just read Matthew Henry's right. commentary. He's pretty thorough, and I think he lines it out very well. It's and very one of the one, one of the best known and respected as well too of a wide part of the Christian community. Yes, he says the Lord warns before He wounds. He sent notice what He would do that they might meet Him in the way of His judgments, but they would not take the hint. Took no care to turn away from His wrath. And so it lighted upon Israel, for no word of God shall fall to the ground. Those that are willingly ignorant of the wrath of God revealed from heaven against sin and sinners shall be made to know it. The sins charged upon the people of Israel, which provoked God to bring these judgments upon them, one, their insolent defiance 
of the justice of God. Thinking themselves a match for him, they say in the pride and stoutness of their heart, let God himself do his worst. We will hold our own and make our part good with him. If he ruins our houses, we will repair them, them stronger and finer than they were before. If the houses that were built of bricks be demolished in the war, we will rebuild them with hewn stones that shall not so easily be thrown down. If the enemy cut down the sycamores, we will plant cedars in the room of them. We will make a hand of God's judgment gained by them, and so outbrave them. Note, those are ripening apace for ruin, whose hearts are unhumbled under humbling providences. For God will walk contrary to those who thus walk contrary to him and provoke him to jealousy as if they were stronger than he. So it's a very hmm. dangerous and right. sobering position. Well, let me ask you, to... let me ask you this. If Matthew Henry was standing there watching the towers fall down on 911, given what he just said here about his thoughts, how do you think he would have interpreted the days of 911? Well, I think it would have been clear to him, knowing his what he's just spoken. I think he would have seen the signs of the times, and he would have seen the heralds. And he would have been criticized by a large part of the Christian community in leadership if he had actually made such a bold statement himself. Uh, another commentary you cite here says, The people were planning to make their buildings more grandiose, not taking into account the fact that the Lord was about to destroy the buildings because of his judgments for their sins. So they were really not resisting this, quote, enemy and his capability, but the very strength and hand of God himself. So that's that's my paraphrase there. Um could you list, and this is a very important part of your writing, and I'm sure you're going to cover this in the documentary, what are the eight signs of judgment that you found in Isaiah chapter 9? Yes, there's several parallels, and Jonathan Kahn listed eight of them. I count at least eight. Um, there's also a similarity in the deep state of apostasy of both nations and the terrorist attack on the coast, New York City for America, and the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. But within that verse that we just read, Isaiah 9, 8 through 10, first, the first sign of impending judgment was the vow. The leaders of the people said in pride and arrogance in their heart, they said the bricks are falling down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we'll replace them with cedars. So the very words coming out of their mouth, the vow of arrogance and pride was the first sign. Um, they said it in a sense of greatness and magnitude and magnificence. Um, they boasted themselves in their own strength and pride of the nation rather than humbling themselves in repentance. There, there, in was, their initial there wasn't even a time of introspection on their behalf, was it? They didn't even stop for, for just a moment and think about the significance of what just occurred. They immediately bristled and said, we'll show you, we'll build them even stronger. Yeah. It's actually the day after 9-11 for America that uh, Tom Daschle repeated those words, but we could get into that right. uh, after I outline these. Mm -hmm. um, the second herald was the fallen bricks. The bricks are falling down, Isaiah said. Uh, bricks were weak and poor building materials. They were dried in the sun and made with straw. 
and uh, bricks refers to the mud brick walls that were common in ancient Israel. And so this first harbinger of judgment portrays damage, but it was only on a limited scale, seeing as that bricks are easily broken. The third sign was the rebuilding. They said, but we will rebuild. Even though God was trying to get their attention and turn Israel from their sins, the people of Israel said that they would undo this judgment in a spirit of defiance and their pride and arrogance and rebuild what was destroyed. Uh, one commentator said, we will replace cottages with palaces. The fourth herald, um, as we read in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the Septuagint, which said, let us build for ourselves a tower, coincides with the, le the leaders and the people building bigger, better, higher, and stronger. So they're not only rebuilding, but they're rebuilding better. They're replacing the fallen bricks with hewn stones. They're replacing the fallen sycamores with cedars. And they're rebuilding a tower in its place. The fifth herald is the hewn stone. The hewn stones are cut or quarried stones, and they're stronger than bricks for building materials. They're not made out of clay, but they're cut out of the mountains. And these are the type of stones that built the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom. Still pretty heavy, but not quite as bad as before. Bionic. All right. Well, we covered a lot of material in this segment and really explained and established the pattern in Scripture that, that Brother Elliot lays out about how God will send initial incremental uh, judgment so to, see if, yeah. to see if there will be repentance. You know, mm -hmm. I'm wondering when the first captivities were taken out of Babylon, if that was still a window of repentance. Because the prophets had foretold then that... He, it was already they knew how stiff necked they were, mm -hmm. but it it should have served as a potential for the people to turn back. Yeah, and I was, you know the Babylonian captivity is the one that's the most prominent in scripture. Mm -hmm. But this is a situation where the northern kingdom before then was given a warning. Yeah, by this initial attack. Well, even and we really should look at it for our own country. Yeah, this even, is a message to us. It's 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 interesting you mentioned the word stiff necked. You know, in Ezekiel, God uses that phrase stiff necked, hard headed. Uh, those mm -hmm. two phrases like seven times in the first four or five chapters, speaking about Israel. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a message that we could easily apply to us, given our subject matter for this week. If you've not gotten a handle on it now as a listener so far, if after you listen to the next two days, I think it will be much more apparent to you when you find out what happened at, at Ground Zero what was the immediate response of our um, politicians? We've been laying the scriptural uh, groundwork for it here. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into some actual details that happened that will illuminate what we've just heard. But someone else who can illuminate us is Merv, who could tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's the end of things. I'm illuminated. 
Come back for part three of our, our discussion with Elliot Ness. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Shalom. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not a sycamore or a cedar. Bionic. Yeah, but you're my kind of tree. You know, you're a Psalm 1 tree, a tree planted by water. I'm more of an oak. Gives fruit in its season. Do you know the word for oak and the word for deer the same in Hebrew? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I could give a whole... I'm right working on a Bible study about it, actually. Really? Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be with you. And we're not going to be talking about that, per se, but mm-hmm. other trees... Because we're talking with Elliot Nash, the producer of Sycamore, the 911 tragedy. And our topic is the Ground Zero Sycamore Tree, Isaiah's Prophecy of Judgment for America. I think it's a fascinating discussion. Uh, we've been laying the scriptural groundwork up to now. and We're going to really get into some details mm-hmm. about um, how our nation responded. And it's eerily similar after 911. It's eerily similar to how Israel responded after the initial attacks by Syria. But we'll let you be the judge of it because you're going to find out some very interesting information in this next segment. So why don't we go to it? We'll give us a little more time to reflect on it. Let's just jump right into it. So here's Elliot Nash, producer of Sycamore, the 911 tragedy, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. The sixth herald, the sixth sign, was the spirit of defiance. And this is what God is judging in his people is his spirit of defiance, though he sought to mercifully warn them in his love. Through this limited judgment, they sought to defy his judgment. Israel's actions were speaking loud and clear. God himself sent a covert chastisement on Israel to wake them up and to bring them back to himself and to bestow his protection and his blessings and prosperity upon them, but they don't once acknowledge his working in it. Um, They use this disastrous occasion, this terrorist attack, to defy the very thought that such a proud and great nation could ever be humbled or chastened by God. One, One commentator says, in this verse, we have the defiance of the people against the judgments of God. So the seventh sign is the sycamore are cut down, the fallen sycamore. Uh, the Bible sycamore was a, a fig tree, the ficus sycamorus. It's called the sycamore fig or fig mulberry. Um, the fig species that has been cultivated since early times. In the Bible, Amos 7.14 refers to the fruit of the sycamore, which is of an inferior character maybe. One commentator adds, sycamores growing abundantly on the lowlands of Judea, not very valuable. So these were, mm-hmm. these were weak, uh, uh, in opposed to the, the cedar. And Psalm 78:47 also lists the destruction of the sycamore tree as a sign of judgment, this time against Egypt. It says God destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. And the eighth and final sign is the cedar. They said we will replace them with cedars. One commentator adds, the cedar, on the other hand, was odorous, free from knots, durable, and precious. So it was stronger than the sycamore. The cedars of Lebanon, for example, were known for their strength. 
and we don't have cedars of Lebanon in America, by the way, but the cedar tree in the Bible, or Erez, as it's translated in Hebrew, is defined in the Strong's Concordance as cedar so-called from the firmness of its roots, which is remarkable in trees of the pine kind, a tree uncommonly tall and widespreading, formerly very abundant in Lebanon. So even this judgment did not appease God's wrath because the people refused to deal with their iniquity. Mm-hmm. So God continued to chastise them, ultimately in a greater devastation. So by physical appearances, they would be much stronger, although nothing has been done to address the spiritual shortcomings that Israel had because of this. Yes, they're actually more vulnerable now since they've come out in pride and arrogance of their heart and chose to defy and undo this judgment of God and close their eyes and plug up their ears. Okay, so even if they had, for example, their own Department of Homeland Security, <laughs> or if they spent a lot of money in new weapons systems and went <laughs> sit parties out to other places, uh, in, you know, inspected buildings, had people put plastic up in their windows, the fact that they didn't address the fundamental spiritual shortcomings, they were deceiving themselves in their perception of, of renewed protection. That's right. God is stronger than all these things, and he will be glorified. Well, what did um, the famous pastor, David Wilkerson, you you brought up, uh, who's famously known in America, uh, what did he say about America? You alluded to it a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit about what he sees coming to America in its future, how how he interpreted this whole 911 event and what he thinks will happen in the aftermath? Um, yeah, as I said earlier, on October 11, 2001, just after the attacks, uh, God gave Pastor David Wilkerson the very chapter and verse in view here in Isaiah chapter 9. And to give a little background and context of the prophetic vision that David Wilkerson received from the Lord, uh, we could go back to Isaiah, where after the leaders came forth in the pride and arrogance of their heart and the spirit of defiance, Uh, The chapter closes with the historic picture as a prophetic warning to America. And it talks about national disunity, American economy, blazing fires throughout the land. It says in verses 19 through 21, Though the wrath of the Lord of hosts, through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up, and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, He shall devour on the left hand and be not satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh shall devour Ephraim and Ephraim Manasseh. Together they shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And this is a quote from David Wilkerson, which parallels this passage. He said, Thirty days of chastisement will fall on New York City, such as the world has never seen. Unimaginable violence. A thousand fires will be burning at the same time throughout the city and its boroughs. Times Square will be ablaze, and the flames that ascend into heaven will be seen for miles. Fire trucks will not be able to handle it. Trains and buses will be shut down. Billions of dollars will be lost. Broadway shows will stop completely. It will cause businesses to flee the city in an unstoppable hemorrhage. The violence will be ferocious. 
It will shock the whole world. Our streets will be lined not just with National Guard, but the militia. The Los Angeles fires were confined to a few sections of the city, but New York will be ablaze in its boroughs. Such things that are expected in third world countries, but not in a civilized nation like the United States. Yet in not too long a time afterward, New York City will go bankrupt. The city's queen city will be cast into the dirt. A city of poverty. God's people are not to fear or to panic. And then on March 7th, 2009, this year, Pastor Wilkerson repeated this prophetic message. He said, I am compelled by the Holy Spirit to send out an urgent message to all our neighboring list and friends and bishops we have met all over the world. An earth-shattering calamity is about to happen. It is going to be so frightening. We are all going to tremble, even the godliest among us. For ten years I have been warning about a thousand fires coming to New York City. It will engulf the whole megaplex, including areas of New Jersey and Connecticut. Major cities all across America will experience riots and blazing fires, such as we saw in Watts, Los Angeles, years ago. Now, now he was known to the worldwide church for his street witnessing activities like the cross and the switchblade, correct? That's right. That's that's how he became known as of great esteem. Did he ever say why he felt like the Lord would pick him to to receive this message to give to the body of Christ? If he has, I'm not aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. He's he said that he. He refers to himself as a watchman. He's never claimed to be a prophet, but mm-hmm. I believe he's a saint of God, and mm-hmm. God has used him. Um, Times Square is right in the middle of New York City, where his church is planted, right in the middle of Babylon, right. as it were. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's, it's, very it's very interesting, because from, from what I know, he is a person universally highly esteemed in the church. The older generation of people tend to view him as like an Old Testament prophet. Well, and that's what I just wonder, even though I picture him more doing, you know, ground-level street witnessing, is the fact, if if he, unless I don't know right, that he has sort of an unassailable uh, reputation, Mm -hmm. that that the Lord might pick him to give a message with the best shot that people would actually hear across the wide part of the body of Christ. Is that plausible? I would have picked Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. <laughs> Not. No, he has he has happy messages. You know, yeah. we're ready for our best life now. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. You won't hear a lot of these judgment messages from the big arenas. They, they, <laughs> no they, they don't go over well in the big arenas, do they, uh, Brother Elliot? No, the, the false prophets are, are speaking peace, peace, when there is no peace in tickling ears. But uh, Pastor Wilkerson is very... Sound preacher, I esteem him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, sk- I. I skipped a question that I forgot to ask you about. If you could quickly comment on how, if based upon the pattern in Scripture, how God uses other nations to judge other nations and then later deal with them. What's what's the pattern God uses? Well, in speaking about all this judgment and uh, calamity coming upon America, Israel. I want to mention that everything God does is out of his love, right. and it's out of his mercy, because God is love. And it says he chastises those whom he loves. Um, it says if you spare the rod from your child, you hate your child. So us fathers and mothers with children, we are to correct our children. And it speaks of the rod in a similar way in Isaiah 
chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation, and against the people of my wrath I will give him charge, to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. So this is God speaking that Assyria is the rod of his anger in his hand, and God says he will send him. And I believe in the same way that God dealt with the Assyrians, God will deal with the 9-11 terrorists who were used by him and used as a rod to trample America. 9-11 was the chastisement of America by God through evil people. And when the Lord is finished Mm -hmm. allowing the Assyrians to attack his people, he will then turn his judgment upon them for delighting in destruction and oppression. Therefore, it's not those who attacked America are in God's favor, but rather they're used as a tool by God to get our attention. In God's sovereignty, he uses the wicked intentions of sinners to carry out his purposes for his glory and his pleasure. And it speaks about the terrorist as an axe or a rod or a club in God's hand. And as soon as he was finished with Assyria, for his purposes, he destroyed it. As God dealt with the Assyrians after he used them to punish Israel, he has and will continue to deal justly with the adversaries who were behind the attacks of America on 9-11. So so this is a pattern we see. For example, the prophets talked at length about Babylon and about how God was going to use Babylon uh, to try to correct Israel. And then... They are very clear. It says, then God's going to judge Babylon for what they did. Uh, God even used the household of, of Jehu to actually go against the house That's of right. Ahab. Yeah. Uh, even though they weren't a state figure, they were sort of a, a group that were used for that purpose. And they were bloodthirsty people themselves, but God used them for that purpose. So what I'm gathering from this is that if we want protection against terrorists today, the best way to have our own homeland security is to get on our knees and pray for repentance and do everything in our power to get other people to pray for repentance. And that would be a lot more successful than go running around in the hills of another country to try to capture these kind of guys. A- a- am I understanding this right? If if we did that in true sincerity of heart, just like the people of Nineveh did when Jonah preached, that God would go hunt down these terrorists and get rid of them, but we could actually see healing come on our land? Yes, and I think that that's key, is prayer. Like Mm -hmm. God told Solomon at the dedication of the temple, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. So the greatest service that we can do for this country is to pray, to humble ourselves in response to God's correction and pray that God would forgive the sins of this nation and heal our land with revival of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, speaking of our nation, let's think about some of our great leaders of our land, the people who um, are highly revered, that that lead our country uh, for their great wisdom and insight. And two people that come to mind uh, during this intervening time were Tom Daschle and John Edwards, who you have some quotations for them. And they actually knew to quote from this passage, Isaiah chapter 9, in public forum, in the Senate chamber and elsewhere, they quoted from this. So they saw a connection. How did they quote from these Bible passages, and what did it reveal about them? 
I'll let the, the quotes speak for themselves. Um, as a reminder, that first herald that we spoke about of judgment within Isaiah 9 was those who say in pride and arrogance of their heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars in response to the attack. Well, on September 12, 2001, the Senate Majority Leader, Tom Daschle, on a joint resolution of condemnation of attacks, addressed the world as a representative and leader of America. And just as it was done 3,000 years ago in Israel, when these prophetic words were spoken, so he said in America, and I quote, Mr. President, it is with pain, sorrow, and resolve that I stand before this Senate, a symbol for 212 years of the strength of our democracy, and say that America will emerge from this tragedy as we have emerged from all adversity, united and strong, Nothing, nothing can replace the losses that have been suffered. I know there is only the smallest measure of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation, but there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times such as this. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. That is what we will do. We will rebuild and we will recover. The people of America will stand strong together because the people of America have always stood together. And those of us privileged to serve this great nation will stand with you. Likewise, on September 11, 2004, Democratic candidate for vice president at the time, John Edwards, spoke at a prayer breakfast for the Congressional Black Caucus, and he repeated this chapter and verse. He said, Good morning. Today, on this day of remembrance and mourning, we have the Lord's word to get us through. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. So, John Edwards and Tom Daschle have used this verse thinking it was a word of encouragement or hope for the nation. Um, but they totally took it out of context because the verse previous says they spoke in pride and arrogance of their heart these things. <laughs> it was yeah. a sign of judgment. And just as Caiaphas, who was high priest, uh, before Jesus was crucified, he spoke and prophesied, saying it is better that one man should die for the nation than that the, na the whole nation should perish. Um, these men, Tom Daschle and John Edwards, are um, God's appointed leaders for this country, according to Romans 13. And in that position, they spoke prophetically. And John Edwards even said, we have the Lord's word to get us through. Um, they they totally took it out of context. Well, that's a key thing for our listeners to understand, is that just omitting the preamble verses to this passage totally changes the understanding of them, and they've contorted it to say what they want to say, just like true false prophets who will take a little bit of truth and can, can completely invert it and put it in the exact... And it, this, that's yeah. a metaphor... 
This this example is a metaphor from what you're talking about, about the sickness, the spiritual sickness of our nation, is that they can take uh, the, the true word of God, including the words of judgment, and somehow contort it to be a word that actually justifies the actions that we take. Boy, that seems to be almost what we review on here at some point every week on Future Quake, that generalized statement. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, you know, going into more details, and, and, and listeners, I want you to keep in mind that those verses we read earlier about all the details of the, the hewn stones and the sycamore tree and the bricks, we didn't do that in vain because what we're going to get into now is a discussion of some details of what's going on today and how uncannily it, it represents what we what we see in this ancient time in a passage. How does the building of the Freedom Tower and the placement of the Freedom Stone relate to this passage and to the attitude of America? Well, they were the, the fourth and fifth heralds of judgment that we lined out earlier. And I think it's very important for us to go back to that verse in Isaiah and really understand what it's saying. Because this is the Lord's word to the nation. And whether or not Tom Daschle and John Edwards even wrote their own speeches or intentionally left out the preceding verses or not, God has spoken through them, and it's up to us Christians to go back and see what this really means. Uh, the tower, for instance, the fourth harbinger, Israel said they would rebuild bigger and better and stronger and taller. In the Septuagint, it says that they would build a tower. Well, we are now rebuilding where the Twin Towers stood at ground zero, a tower. In Governor George E. Pataki's remarks on July 4, 2004, he said, Let this great freedom tower show the world that what our enemies sought to destroy, our democracy, our freedom, our way of life, stands taller than ever. And in a 2005 interview with MSNBC, the real estate developer Donald Trump stated, what I want to see built is the World Trade Center stronger and maybe a story taller. And that's what everybody wants. We should have the World Trade Center bigger and better. As the leaders of Israel declared, let us build for ourselves a tower, we are rebuilding the Freedom Tower, which is now known as the One World Trade Center, or One World Tower, and it's to stand at 1,776 feet tall symbolizing the birth of the nation, but this is taller than the Twin Towers. It's bigger and better, stronger. Uh, Governor George, or James McGreevy, borrowing from the Old Testament book of Haggai, said, the glory of this house shall exceed the former. They were speaking about the temple in Haggai, and mm -hmm. he's taking that and applying it to this tower. The okay. fifth herald... I'm sorry. Oh, the fifth herald was the hewn stone. Uh, they said, we will rebuild with hewn stone, though the bricks are fallen. Uh, the symbol of Israel's rebuilding was this quarried stone or cut stone out of the mountains. Well, the first stone that was used in the construction of the Freedom Tower was a hewn stone from New York granite, and it was lowered by crane in a ceremony on July 4, 2004. Here's a quote from George Pataki at the ceremony. He said, today is indeed a momentous day. Today we take 20 tons of Adirondack granite, the bedrock of our state, 
and place it as the foundation, the bedrock of a new symbol of American strength and confidence. Today we lay the cornerstone for a new symbol of this city and this country and of our resolve in the face of terror. Today we build the Freedom Tower. So this was the hewn stone or the cut stone in rebuilding the nation. However, this Freedom Stone was removed on July 23, 2006. Um, the New York Daily News reported, after two years, the stone was deemed to be in the way of changing plans for the site. Early on the morning of June 23, 2006, it was loaded onto a flatbed truck, reveiled with a tarp, and driven 45 miles back to Innovative Stone. We arrive at this 4th of July with 20 tons of disgrace sitting in the Long Island lot, unquote. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tomicus Bionicus Maximus. Where did that come from? Bionic. I won't ask. <laughs> um, there was some other heavy-duty information from yeah. Brother Elliot that came uh, today. I was particularly interested in the eight signs of judgment there. Mm-hmm. Uh, which he concluded. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, concluded them here and shows how basically we've checked off all the blocks in our response mm-hmm. after 911. Uh, I found it very interesting. Uh, well, first of all, to see how evil people can be used by God to judge even his own people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they don't get off scot free. God will deal with them later. But God could even use Al Qaeda to judge America. Mm hmm. And you know what? When God uses an age, another third-party agent of judgment over us, our deal is not to go address the agent of judgment. It's to go deal to with go God. Go get on our face and to go deal the Lord. with God. Yeah. Not not the agent He uses. You know, it it wasn't that that uh, Judah had to go figure out how to go conquer Babylon. Judah had to go figure out how to get right with God. Mm-hmm. So then God could make arrangements. God took care of Babylon. God God sent another kingdom, overthrew them, uh, then put in their heart to send the people back to the land. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, yeah. The Lord doesn't need weapon systems or anything like that. He can work anything out in almost infinite number of ways. You know, there's one so, thing uh, yeah. that it says he will not despise, and that is a broken and contrite heart. That's uh, that's a good thing. God despises sin. God despises all of our shortcomings and and you know, the, the the limitations of man. But He does not despise our broken and contrite heart. Hmm. That's good. That's a pretty amazing thing. That's something that He can find acceptable. And that goes for our whole nation I'm and the individuals that make it up. Yeah, I'm constantly sort of awed by uh, the thing, the things that God likes and God does, and the things that He is, His attributes. You know. His personality. As Brother Elliot said, God is, you know, God is this being of love. Mm-hmm. And uh, to do these things is not, it's, it's, it's out of love ultimately. Well, we'll need to finish that tomorrow because Merv needs to tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. 
Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. All right, let's get out of here. Okay, come back for the last segment with Brother Elliot. Until tomorrow, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And this is our last installment today of our interview with Elliot Nash, who is the producer of the new documentary called Sycamore, the 911 Tragedy. Mm-hmm. And the topic of our talk this week is the Ground Zero Sycamore Tree, Isaiah's Prophecy of Judgment for America. Mm-hmm. And this has been one somber but very important broadcast as well and i think that's really the really the whole tenor of of everything we're doing uh maybe even here at future quake you know mm-hmm. uh he uses in several places uh the the phrase you know watchman mm-hmm. and uh you know watchman on the wall referring to mm-hmm. uh i believe it's um the just right. shall live by faith that guy mm-hmm. that prophet you know, he's a watchman well, Ezekiel, on the wall. Ezekiel. Yeah. Well, and I, I just say before we go here that uh, this is just the kind of show that I think is the reason why we have sh- a show like Future Quake, mm-hmm. is to present messages like this from brothers who you may not have heard about otherwise. So mm-hmm. uh, here's Brother Elliot Nash, uh, and we've got a lot of interesting information to cover right now, and we'll be back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Could you please uh, read the first quote of Bataki again? Because I want to comment on it. Not this last one on the stone, but on the tower itself. Sure. He said, Let this great freedom tower show the world that what our enemies sought to destroy, our democracy, our freedom, our way of life, stands taller than than ever. Well, if I could comment. You know what I thought of when, when I heard that? I'm sure a similar speech was given when the first stone was laid at the Tower of Babel after the flood. (laughs) And they saw their enemy being God. Uh, They had a great thing going, great debauchery, evil, iniquity before the flood. God judged it. God allowed humanity to stay around, at least through one family, to repopulate. And what do they do? They immediately decide they're going to build a tower. That was the first Tower of Defiance or Tower of Freedom, whatever you want to call it. And they said the same thing. Let's let's show our strength. Uh, and, and, and read that quote one more time, please, in that context. He said, "Let this great freedom tower show the world that what our enemies sought to destroy, our democracy, our freedom, our way of life, stands taller than ever." And that's that was a tower that they wanted to build into heaven. And when you read other texts, Josephus and, and other books of that era, it says that they wanted to build that tower in so they could go back, well, first of all, protect themselves from the flood. And that's why they put pitch on and other kind of things to protect themselves from the flood to come. And secondly, they built it so they were so arrogant, they thought they could actually go attack God in heaven. And I see that same spirit of arrogance is, is, is still reaching its zenith. Even in our own country, as much as we call ourselves a Christian nation, is that a little bit of a stretch, or do you think there's a connection that goes back that far? Well, I can't help but see a parallel there as well. And God stopped the building of that tower by confusing the languages and 
separating the world into different tribes and tongues, and there's truly nothing new under the sun because New York is a place of different tribes, languages, and tongues and races from all over the world. And what do they do? We come together as one and build a tower. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's, there's risk right now. We have read studies from several leading banks recently, from the... Um, the Army uh, War College and several other studies currently done that is afraid that America is going to break up into segments that we're being so polarized in who we are that that rather than these things actually strengthening us all as one and you know we had a very brief time of all rah rahing waving the flag for a while but we're actually becoming more segmented and polarizing so I can see that the same thing can still occur anyway. Um, on the uh, this whole idea of defiance, you had some amazing quotes from some of our political figures. Can you share those with us real quickly? Yeah, I'll share a couple. This sixth herald, or the sixth sign, was the spirit of defiance in Isaiah 9. The pride, arrogance, and spirit of defiance is a further parallel in America's and Israel's history and their unrepentance. And on the very day that the quarried stone was being laid in the ground at Ground Zero, uh, New York Governor George Pataki again declared, Today we, the heirs of that revolutionary spirit of defiance, lay this cornerstone. Unquote. On September 12, 2001, uh, the same day that uh, Tom Daschle gave his remarks before the nation, Senator John Kerry stated before the U.S. Senate, quote, I believe one of the first things we should commit to with federal help that underscores our nation's purpose is to rebuild the towers of the World Trade Center and show the world we are not afraid. We are defiant, unquote. This is that same defiant spirit that, the God, that God is warning the people of Israel about, Correct. That's right, defying his judgment. Except we call it patriotism. We we call it being strong Americans. The Bible calls it defiance and arrogance. Yes, rather than humbling ourselves in prayer and calling the nation to prayer, um, there were remarks such as these. Well, you know, someone who did hum uh, humble himself and call nation to prayer, even though people may dispute, uh, some some of his background was our first president Washington. Can you tell us the story? I know we're, we're getting here toward the end, but this is very important. The story of the sycamore tree at St. Paul's Church, uh, right there by Ground Zero. What happened with that and its replacement, and even how it was uh, commemorated in a, in a sculpture, and uh, in, in, in the history of this church. Can you share us a little bit about the what's surrounding that church? Yes, this was the seventh sign of judgment. The, they said the sycamores are cut down, so the, the fallen sycamore was a sign. Um, ground Zero, to give a little background, St. Paul's Chapel is located at Ground Zero, and this was the place where George Washington consecrated the nation to God. Um, they led a two-hour prayer service, and this was the place where the nation was consecrated. And in the destruction of the towers on 9-11... Oh, excuse me. I, I don't... Excuse me. I'm sorry. I apologize for interrupting you, Elliot. I just want to mention quick, just to uh, be compact here. 
This church, ironically, also is the storage of the Great Seal of the United States, correct? That's where they store that's it? That's right. It's a sign of our uh, our protection and our power. And that's the earliest depiction of that seal, which you see on the back of your dollar bill, is a painting which is kept at St. Paul's Chapel right above George Washington's pew, above a plaque with his words. So that's where that's kept. It's a sign of our our power and protection. Okay, so we have this connection where our first president, our, our nation is getting kicked off, goes there and prays for God's hand in our country. We have the great seal stored there. So if, if, if you wanted a symbol of the spiritual bedrock of our nation, the symbol, the spiritual symbol of our nation, you could argue it could be that particular church. In other words, it's really a barometer or, or a ground zero of our spiritual connection as a nation. Mm. So given that, what happened at Ground Zero connected to this church? Well, also significant, I believe, um, the name of God is written in this church in two different places. The Hebrew letters yod heh vav Yahweh, um, they're kept at the front of this church. So God's name is upon this church. And as I said, this was known as the miracle of 9-11. In the destruction of the towers on 9-11, a steel beam from the North Tower was hurled through the sky. And it struck down a sycamore tree in the courtyard of St. Paul's Chapel. And it actually saved the chapel. Uh, September 11th, 2001, St. Paul's was a place where police and firefighters and volunteers at Ground Zero could go for hope and for prayer. And it was saved from these collapsing buildings by the giant sycamore tree that was uprooted by debris. Uh, they didn't expect to see the structure standing. In fact, there was almost no damage done. It was just covered in a six-inch layer of dust. And the one notable exception was the giant sycamore tree in the northwest corner of the graveyard. Um, and the people publicly displayed the tree with its roots exposed, not realizing the tree's significance of judgment and warning in the Bible, as we read in Isaiah and in the Psalms. And it was seen as a symbol and as an icon. And sculptor Steve Tobin was commissioned to cast a recreation of the roots of the sycamore in bronze. And this bronze image of the fallen, uprooted sycamore is displayed on Broadway at the head of Wall Street, which symbolizes America's financial prosperity. And bronze, or brass, is a metal used as a type of severe judgment in the Bible. Like we read about Jesus in Revelation 1.15, it says, His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. This is when Jesus was coming in judgment. Also, the horns of the altar were brass, uh, signifying God's judgment against sins. And also the uh, bro the bronze snake, the brazen snake in the Old Testament, that the people were being judged and being bitten by snakes. And an emblem of that was the snake that was lifted up on a pole for the deliverance. So so there's many examples, like you say, of bronze and, and, and judgment as such. And there's another stunning parallel here. In May of 1792, the Buttonwood Agreement was signed by 24 stockbrokers under a Buttonwood tree along Wall Street in New York. And this agreement started the New York Stock Exchange. 
Hmm. Well, the buttonwood tree is usually called the sycamore, and it's also known as the American sycamore. So as the buttonwood agreement birthed this golden calf or idol of American commerce, signified in the charging bull or the Wall Street bull, which is also sculpted in bronze on Wall Street, so the bronze uprooted sycamore sculpture symbolizes the riches and financial prosperity of America being uprooted, overturned in economic depression, being displayed on Wall Street. So this fallen sycamore tree is the harbinger of God's judgment against the American economy. Mm -hmm. And they do not have ears to hear. You, you know, uh, when I read this, I thought about a representative in the Bible of, of American Wall Street um, uh, pride and, and, and business greed, and that was Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And Zacchaeus represented all of that. And what did he do? He climbed up in a sycamore tree to go hear the testimony of Jesus and preaching of the kingdom that Jesus heard. And what did Jesus tell to him? He told him to get out of the sycamore tree. He said, you get out of there and come down because he says, I want to dwell with you. And and thank, thank goodness for Zacchaeus, he heard that testimony. He heard the word. He got out of the sycamore tree. He, he dined with Jesus. He immediately repented of his greed and his arrogance, exploiting other people, made restitution to people. And the Lord said, salvation has come to this house. And the Lord is looking for Zacchaeus in America that will climb out of that sycamore tree uh, right now. Uh, do you think there's a there's a relevance there? I hadn't considered it before, but you, you might be on to something. Well, you know, hmm. one, one other thing I wonder is that the fact that I, I think from what I read that the church was untouched there. There was just a little crack in the window. Is this a message that God is not only sending to America, but to the American church? <clears throat> that I've let the sycamore tree take the hit this time. But it was an eyelash away of hitting the American church, who, who has just been dwelling and coexisting here right next to the, uh, the bronze uh, sycamore tree, buttonwood tree there in Wall Street. Is this a message to the church that the next time there won't be anything to take the brunt of the hit? And it says that judgment begins first in the house of God. Is, is that a warning to us as a church? I believe it is. Um, though this sycamore tree fallen was a sign of judgment, I think it's also a sign of God's mercy and His grace and His love, because this was known as the miracle of 9-11. Though there was judgment, St. Paul's Chapel was protected, the place where the nation was dedicated to God, the place that has God's name written upon it. But not not to fear, they replaced that tree with a version of a cedar tree, right? Or a conifer variant of it here? Yes, that was the eighth sign. They said, we will replace them with cedars. And just as recorded in Isaiah with Israel, America replaced this sycamore tree with a 21-foot Norway spruce, and they called it the Tree of Hope. Like I said, we don't have like the cedars of Lebanon in America, uh, but this was a tree of the same family, uh, the Cedrus conifera, is of the Panacea family, which includes many well-known conifers such as cedars and spruces. The tree of hope was lowered by a crane, and on November 29th, St. Paul's hosted a prayer service and a ceremonial lighting of the tree of hope. Um, and in Hebrew parallelism, 
you'll see that a verse is often matched with another verse that rhymes in thought. Like you have the fallen bricks and the fallen sycamore grouped together, and these were both found in the ruins and the rubble of the 9-11 attacks at Ground Zero. Then we have the cedar tree and the hewn stone, which can be grouped together because both were lowered by cranes, both had ceremonies surrounding them, both were labeled as icons, the tree of hope and the freedom stone. And another interesting thing here is that uh, the freedom stone was removed. And I believe that that's significant of God removing the freedom from America because we're only free in Jesus Christ. We're slaves to ourselves and slaves to sin. And one of the most astonishing things we found when we went to St. Paul's Chapel, Brother Raymond asked, where is the tree of hope? And this woman told him, I'm sorry, it died. <laughs> and we found the tree of hope, and it was withered. It's still there, but it's withered. We've seen pictures of it before, and it was this full tree when they planted it. And now it's dying, and the whole America is dying as we continue in defiance against God. We actually found the sign which labels the tree of hope at St. Paul's Chapel in the garbage can behind one of their structures there. So America's hope is going to remain in the garbage until we repent. Did, didn't the same kind of thing happen in the, on the temple? Didn't they have signs even before the fall in eighty seventy that God's spirit had left the temple as well? Like, wasn't there a certain string that would turn crimson at t after the Day of Atonement that stopped doing that at that time and various examples yeah, like this? Correct. So, so yeah. you know, we have our own versions of something like this that's occurring. You, you talk about later, and, and we're getting to the last few minutes here of the interview. Uh, you, you talk about later, it talks in this passage about if repentance doesn't occur, that there's judgment that is said to occur on a much more widespread basis. And one of the things it has is a, is a judgment pronounced for the prophet who teaches lies. What, what is said will happen to the prophet who teaches lies amongst the people? That's found in, um, I could read from Isaiah, starting verse 14. Right. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Well, um... So we have an issue with the leaders of the people, who obviously we gave examples of leaders who have misled the people by their misquoting God's word. But we also have the prophets or the leaders, the religious leaders of a country, that are also culpable for for leading wrong, and judgment will come on them as well, correct? Yes, as you said, judgment begins at the house of God. And there are many false teachers and preachers out there who are leading their sheep astray. Boy, that's not kidding. <laughs> well, well let, me, let me ask you, I know this is fairly new material that's come out. Have you been contacted by any other large mainstream Christian media groups to comment on this? Not yet, no, but I plan to um, spread this message across the country like wildfire, and I hope that other Christians do the same as watchmen, Well, I believe this is the word of the Lord for this nation. We'd like to know which of the, the large, I'm talking about the big conglomerates, the national ministries, national Christian media, pay attention to this message. Because I'm afraid that many of them 
are not going to be that interested in a message, particularly if they cover it the way we did today about America's arrogance. Well, it would it would touch their financial pocketbook, and that's sort well, of the almighty in most of those ministries. I Did I just say that out loud? I don't mean to be <laughs> judgmental myself, but sometimes they have become indicative of America's arrogance. We all can risk doing that, uh, you know, particularly you and I yeah. in the seat of scoffers. Particular but, me. But uh, we, we, we can risk doing that. But I'm very concerned about um, how the Christian community and leadership responds to this message of repentance. And are we leading people into repentance itself? Uh, in closing, let me ask you, what should we as Christians do with this information that you shared? I think the first thing we need to do is humble ourselves um, in response to God's rod of correction. Uh, we need to pray, and we need to love as Jesus loved, serve as Jesus served, and seek the Holy Spirit. Seek God while he may be found. It says he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I just encourage people, those that are called by God's name, that God does have everything under control. And that if you are a Christian, indeed, that you've been born again, God has a specific purpose for your life. And today is the day of salvation. Um, now more than ever, we need to live according to the calling wherewith we are called in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God created us before we were even born. We were known for good works. Um, he created us for his pleasure, to do his will. So don't hide your lamp under a bushel. It says that we are a city set upon a hill and we cannot be hid. And we need to be like those five wise virgins who obtained oil and had their lamps trimmed and were ready. We need to be in that secret place of prayer with God. Because I believe that when this judgment comes, this final judgment upon America that God is also going to pour out his spirit and his mercy and his love. And there's going to be Bible, but it's going to be upon those who are seeking his face now and who are continually before him. So pray to God that he'll give us wisdom, and I know he will, because mm -hmm. um, revival is going to come, and we're seeing the first fruits of that all over the nation, I believe. Yeah, yeah. man. Uh, would, would you say a very brief prayer for our listeners? and for the body of Christ in our nation. Just a brief one to um, pray that, that this message would, would reach them in their hearts and stir them to action. Yes, we can pray. Father in heaven, you are love. You've called your people in holiness. God, I pray that you send your people forth with the light and love of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save souls, with the knowledge and wisdom of what is coming. Equip us, Father. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Help us, God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, how can our listeners keep up with your work? as you continue to spread this word, and how can they support you and obtain your documentary and other materials? Well, um, you can visit the websites, 911sycamore.com, holybibleprophecy.org, shofar.org, to keep up with uh, future work and the film which will come out. 
um, and to obtain the documentaries. We offer them all for free, um, but donations do help to fund future projects, and we encourage people to copy them and distribute them freely to their churches and to all their friends. So, so you're not saying you're not doing this to be a big money maker and to get you a nice uh no silver jet, jet airplane and a, and a big mansion to uh you know to be blessed monetarily for what the Lord's doing you and show how much he endorses you by how much money you make. Thing. That's not <laughs> your style, God huh? God forbid if I extort <laughs> the bride of Christ. Well, you wow. know, I, yeah. I I would suggest that our listeners make a generous uh donation for these documentaries, and that money, every penny of that, I am confident that Brother Elliot is going to put it to the Lord's work, and, and not in some kind of limousine, in fine cars, and in fine homes, and all these other kind of things that people rationalize. No but, trips to Aspen. But he's going to put it into everything that can reach every person out there with God's word for them, that they can be spared and be redeemed. And I want to thank you, brother, for uh, listening to the Holy Spirit, doing this work, uh, letting your light shine before men, but being used of the Lord. And I want you to keep keep in touch with us and let us know what we can do to help you in your mission. Will you do that? Yes. God bless you. Thank you. Well, brother, we appreciate what you're doing. Um, we stand strong with you here in Future Quake, and I know our listeners feel the same way, too. Thank you for giving us the word of the Lord today. Mm-hmm. And we will be praying that the, that um, your faithful word and your documentary will be anointed, and that it will actually speak to the spirits of the people who who hear it, and that the Lord will bring him bring them to hear it. And uh, we just wish the best for you. We ask you to come back again soon and update us on your ministry and what you're doing. And um, we just wish again the best for you. And thank you so much for coming on Future Quake. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God bless you both. Thank you, brother. You. Thank you for your blessing and our blessings on you and well. Thanks again. We're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, ready to humble himself, pray, and serve others. Bionic. I wish we had more time. We don't have much time to, to finish this, but this whole mm-hmm. story about this church and the metaphor it has representing the spiritual situation of our country yeah. is unmistakable, I think. Well, the whole thing about the great seal painting being actually being in the church was yeah. like, wow. How much more blatant can God make it that the religious spiritual nature of our nation is on trial? And I don't think we've done a good job since 2001, uh, September 11th. Perhaps even before, really. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, we'd like to hear what you think, and Merv can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've got to go. United we stand, divided we fall. Let us know what you think about this show. Tomorrow is tomorrow's Tremors. Uh, we review the news. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Not really sure what all is going on, but it's pretty amazing around here. Bionic. That's a very good name. Yeah. It's a very good name for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our listeners probably feel the same way. Yeah. We're living in amazing days. It is. It's, yes. And, That's a good uh, way to put it. We can we can certainly refer to that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you today. We, we hope you enjoyed uh, the interview that we had this week with Elliot Nash. Mm-hmm. Another fascinating gentleman mm-hmm. um, that the Lord is doing wonderful things through him and his group. Um, everybody's sort of doing their their own thing as they feel the director of the Lord. We may all do things a little differently. It goes for all of our guests and ourselves. Mm-hmm. But um, while we meet people that God calls differently, you know, different emphasis at different times, it's an amazing thing to see God work through people. Uh, man, I tell Even you. we don't understand all the details. He's rolling. I'm not talking about Elliot. I'm just talking about everybody. I know. Um, and one that comes in point, I'll bring up before we get into our news story, yeah. is uh, there had been some announcements by our, our good show friend, Longshoreman Johnny, who mm-hmm. has a show called The Iron Show. Yes. Uh, that uh, he's a big fan of Peter Goodgame. He's one of our favorites on the show. Mm-hmm. And we've not heard much from Peter. We had him back one time over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, back, but there had been some changes going on in his life. Uh, many of our listeners will know him for his phenomenal book, Red Moon Rising, that he wrote, and his incredible research, prophetic research that he's done, looking back in the past to understand the future. Mm-hmm. Really gifted man. But there's something going on in his life that uh, he understands that the Lord's calling him to do some different kinds of things. And for uh, those, to say the least. Well, and for those of us who love Peter... Um, it's fascinating for us to watch and to try to figure out what the Lord is up to. Yeah. But uh, Longshoreman Johnny uh, was able to arrange to get him on for almost four hours just recently. So if you happen to go over to ironshow.com, look up show number seven with Peter Goodgame. There's a part one and part two. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a historic kind of show. Wow. Longshoreman Johnny's going to be flipping out to hear you say those well, words. Well, he think he already understands that. I wow. think he knows the significance of it. Uh, it's a very free form, mm-hmm. uh, and it pretty much allows uh, a very lengthy period of time for Peter to sort of explain what's been going on in his life step by step. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was fascinated to listen to it. Um, don't know um, what all the significance is for the future as far as what it, what it means, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, just to cut to the chase of people, if you're intrigued, uh, Peter feels like the Lord has been calling him to focus in some other things that pertain to the power of God. And he has been uh, associating with some other folks that have really seen the power of God work upon him in the Holy Spirit. Wow. Miracles have been taking place. Uh, Peter's been in the, miracle, in the middle of it, healings. Mm-hmm. A lot of healing going on and other kind of things. That's great. And you can hear it in Peter's voice that he has just been transformed and energized like it's a whole different phase of his life now wow well that's interesting you mentioned that because i think when we were talking the last time we had him on i got this sense that he was really excited about he wasn't as as excited about prophecy necessarily but he was excited about just being being himself and praying with other people and just worshiping the lord so Mm -hmm. and uh, he he feels the lord working through the church Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the role of what you might call watchman or, or warnings or whatever, mm-hmm. he doesn't feel that calling right now, from best I can tell. It's more mm-hmm. go out there and just get job 
get stuff done for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that's great. You know, the Lord knows, just like a military commander, when to reassign, mm-hmm. when to resend people over to different kind of things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing necessarily is wrong. I'm right. still waiting for my orders to go eat. To go eat? Yeah. To go to mess hall? It's time for you for liberty. extended mess hall <laughs> duty. Well, I guess part of what influences how I interpret this is the fact of what I've been seeing going on in your life. Hmm. Because uh, there have been miraculous things going on around your life. Yeah, uh, to say the least. Um, healings, but not necessarily always in a physical sense for people. Very Major spiritual. spiritual healings yeah. of deliverance and things like that mm-hmm. that have been going on very tangibly in the people around you. Mm-hmm. You've, you've been involved in it. It's influenced some activities you're doing right now, mm-hmm. ministries. And... Um, I'm just sitting there watching all this. I almost feel like the train's going by, and I'm just watching it. You know, this old Baptist. You know, we're really big into under, trying to understand the Bible and stuff like that. You know, my background. Well, you know, that's important. But uh, uh, and we believe in miracles and the Holy Spirit and indwelling Holy Spirit and miracles today and things going on. But to see how much, how frequently and tangibly it's happening now. It's causing me over time, of course, you know, we fellowship in a church now that mm-hmm. um, is, is a little more aggressive. Spirit. Right, sorry, more yeah. aggressive. In That's the, a very good way to put um, in, in, in seeing the Spirit work, although it's sort of a one step from where I've come from. You know, it's a step yeah. in that direction. Well, they believe They're in the gifts, they just don't allow them. They yeah. balance doctrine yeah. and other kind mm-hmm. of things with it. But um, uh, I'm just fascinated to watch. Rather than sitting on a seat and say, well, this is right, this is wrong, this, this is it. I'm just watching and taking notes well, and yeah. seeing where the Lord wants me to go. I hope our listeners are doing this, too. I hope you all are in an environment where you're with a fellowship of people mm-hmm. where you can see that going on around you, too. Yeah. If not, move to Nashville or Goodlitzville. We've got a cool church. That's we right. a lot of stuff going That's on. That's right. You can see it in front of futurequake.com. Yeah. And and there's a network extension, just like through the Revelations Radio mm-hmm. Network. We had, what, a two-and-a-half-hour or longer yeah, time and that was, if you can believe it, like the short one. The uh, last yeah. one hand lasted uh, four-and-a-half hours. Right, and we you see know? God's hand moving through that. Mm-hmm. And so we focus on a lot of negative stuff on our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean negative, but, but stuff to be warned about people, about what's going on these days, challenges to be aware of. But the Holy Spirit is working. God is working. Oh, incredible. It's part of what we know will happen in the last days, if mm-hmm. this is the last days. Mm-hmm. If it is, um, then it was prophesied, you know. Mm-hmm. That may be the activities of that's, Joel we see coming out. Yeah. And, uh, These are the days of Elijah. You know? Brother, I just want to tell you, I'm encouraged to hear about what's going on in your life and how you share with me. And our listeners out there, when they email, I appreciate it so much to tell me how the Lord is doing things in your life and the people around you. Wow. And I hope we're going to see more of that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, I think we are. Things just, well, you know, like I was relating to you, I won't go, I won't bore our audience with it, but the last couple of days have been, like, pretty crazy, you know? Right. You know, so. These are days of miracles. And miracles much, of yeah. salvation, days of deliverance from oppression, mm-hmm. days of healing, physical healings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be, it would behoove all of us to accept that and ask the Lord if we can be part of it mm-hmm. in whatever way he sees fit. And uh, mm-hmm. not just be on the defensive, but be on the offensive as well, too. Yeah, there you go. For the kingdom of God. And, uh, brother, whatever we do here, you know, this is, a part, this is just a part of our ministry for the Lord. Sure. This show. But I think it's, it's a very important one, you know. Right. Uh, uh, we talked a little bit about, about you know, you went to your, you went to your thing and I covered yeah. spiritual strongholds up there. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, it just seemed like the people were... Random people that I never in a, in a million years mm-hmm. thought would have cared were really encouraged by this. So don't think right. that you're out in the cold somewhere. 
you know. <laughs> well, you know, you're participating just as much as the rest yeah. of us. God is up to something. That's what. That's what it really. Is. I sure hope he's up to uh, pumpkin gnocchi because I just made some Sunday. <laughs> Did oh, you really? So good. Well, it's hard to roll pumpkin puree, but once yeah. if you can do that. Yeah. Man, I should bring some over here sometime. Yeah, we would like Pyro and I both, and Merv would probably like it too. Yeah. We'd... Well, but Merv stays in the closet. We just well, that's to... true. Well, you know, people probably have tuned in to hear some news today since it's Friday, which Indeed. means it's what? It is time to do some news. What do you mean? Okay. This mean? is the latest time that I've had in the show to correct you. It's tomorrow's <laughs> Tremors or today's review of the Futures News. Yes. Uh, would you like to kick off with a story or me? Or... Um, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll do a really quick one. Yeah, me um, too. We'll about my old, quick ones. my old stomping ground here. Uh, this is via the Los Angeles Times. Uh, starting Sunday, cash-strapped California will dig deeper into the pocketbooks of wage earners, holding back 10% more than it already does in state income taxes, just as the biggest shopping season of the year kicks into gear. Now, let me ask you this. They're they're holding withholding more. They haven't uh-huh. announced an official tax increase. They're basically getting an advance, right? Yeah, they're, they're getting, getting an, an advance of money just to help cover. From uh-huh. It's sort of like those check exchange places where you go and you give them your your check. You they hold it till Friday while you get a loan for a couple of days. Yes. Our our state institution has resorted to that. Mm-hmm. That's like an act of desperation, right? In normal yeah. people. You pretty much, yeah. Okay, sorry. Proceed. It's okay. It's okay. Technically, it's not a tax increase, even though it may feel like one. When you when your next paycheck arrives, as part of a bundle of budget patches adopted in the summer, the state is taking more money now and withholding, even though workers' annual tax bills won't change. Sweet. Think of it as a forced interest-free loan. You'll be repaid any extra withholding in April, minus any minus the interest that you earn on that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who would receive a refund anyway will receive a larger one, and those who owe taxes will owe less. <laughs> mm. How about that for putting lipstick on a pig? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sweet. But with rising gas costs, depressed home prices, and double-digit unemployment, the state's added reach into residents' regular paycheck isn't sitting well with many. You don't say. Mm. And that's about all that she wrote on that one. But uh, And this is just the beginning, I presume. There are going to be more yeah. th- fast ones in desperation they're going to try to pull here in the days ahead. Circling the drain. That yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Unfortunately, it is. I mean, yeah. you know, California yeah. is it's so it's so interesting because it's a it's a state that uh, is so blessed with all sorts of resources. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's the fifth largest economy in the world, and it's only one Natural state. resources, incredible uh-huh. brain trust. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest concentration of brain trust in the country. Yes. California. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just and on and on. And then you go up into northern California. It's just so beautiful. They have, it, you know, right. so much clean water and air and everything mm-hmm. up there. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable place to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's 10% more expensive. But has their lifestyle been sort of eating the seed corn, so to speak? Have they sort of supported a lifestyle, particularly even like civil service pay and stuff like that, mm-hmm. beyond what was sustainable? I would say so, although to be honest, you couldn't pay me $150,000 to be a cop in any one of those places, which is what yeah. they were making. Yeah. Somebody would be like, hey, I want you to be, I want you to make $150,000 to be a cop in downtown Oakland. I'd be like, right. uh, yeah, this is not like Beverly Hills we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm going to go somewhere safe like Nicaragua. Yeah, right. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, Well, would you like to have something that has a, some positive to it, which will oh, sort of break a tradition here. Yeah, okay. Hit me. This is also a short one. 
Um, planned, this is from the Telegraph, Daily Telegraph, a prominent newspaper in, in the UK. Planned Parenthood leader resigns after watching abortion ultrasound. Wow. Uh, the director of a Planned Parenthood outlet in Texas has resigned after watching an ultrasound out of abortion produce, uh, procedure. Abby Johnson called, uh, told KBTX television station, I just thought I can't do this anymore. And it was just like a flash that hit me, and I thought, that's it. I feel so pure in heart. I don't have this guilt. I don't have this burden on me anymore. And that's how I know this conversion was a spiritual conversion. She now supports the Coalition for Life, an anti-abortion group down the road from her old pro-choice group. Volunteers from Coalition for Life regularly pray outside the offices of Planned Parenthood. Ms. Johnson and the Coalition for Life have issued uh, have been issued with a temporary restraining order following her defection. Ha, oh, sweet. Okay, a spokesman for Planned Parenthood said, We regret being forced to turn to the court to protect the safety and confidentiality of our clients and staff. However, in this instance, it is absolutely necessary. The temporary restraining order says Planned Parenthood would be harmed by disclosure of information. A court hearing about the order takes place on November 10th. That is... These are the days of Elijah, bro. Um, this is, you know, this is this is um, work of work of prayer and the work of the Lord. Obviously, Planned Parenthood has a lot of stuff to cover up. They are, are extremely kidding. horrified. You know, I, I don't see any, she's taking any actions to expose anything. No, no. But they're so horrified by the fact that the word will get out. Yeah. Well, can I? Can I? Pray since this Please is a so. spiritual battle. Please can do. I say a prayer about? I'm gonna pray for Abby and the people there mm-hmm. for our listeners. Heavenly Father, I pray for Abby. I thank you so much that through your power and your strength that you reached out to her. Lord, I pray that you would protect her, protect her legally, mm-hmm. and the people that she's with that are serving you. Mm-hmm. Lord, I just pray that you would c- complete the spiritual transformation of her, uh, wipe her conscience clean, the spirit clean, Lord, and to focus on the deliverance. And to devote her life, Lord, to protecting these young ones, Lord, uh, that may have been in danger due to her prior activities. Lord, I pray you just lift her up and her friends, Lord. Uh, and I ask that you would bind the power of Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. that you would bring them low. Lord, we pray for deliverance of the other people that work in that office, that they would follow in her footsteps, that uh, they would recognize the adversary who was leading their steps. Lord, and that they would be freed and delivered from the deception of the adversary, mm. would come over and abide in your truth, Lord, and be an act of love and an act of preserving life. So, Lord, I just pray that you would do your work through the other people there and that you would stymie any activities they would have against these people of of God or against these precious young ones that you sent, Lord. I pray that uh, our listeners, too, would be convicted by this, and that they would understand the power of prayer. This is another example where prayer can do what what lawsuits and physical violence could never do. And we just pray, Lord, that they would be motivated to go pray out in front of their Planned Parenthood office, wherever they live right now, and that uh, when we see actions happen there, that they'd let us know that we could rejoice in your act and these other stations and places, Lord. Thank you so much for serving you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's heavy one. That's a good one to yeah. have. Um, That's awesome. Got something else for us? Oh, there's all sorts of... I got another uplifting one. Okay. Okay, no. Then I've got sort of a, a traditional... Okay. No, it's actually not uplifting at all. Okay. <laughs> you had me going there for a minute. Yeah. 
this one's from Bloomberg News. Uh, CIT bankrupt. Okay. CIT Group Incorporated, the 101-year-old commercial lender, uh, used to be the largest bank in the world by assets mm-hmm. uh, until about mid mid 2007. Filed for bankruptcy to cut 10 billion in debt after the credit crunch dried up its funding and a U.S. bailout and debt exchange offer failed. City listed 71 billion in assets and 64.9 billion in debt in a Chapter 11 filing in U.S. Bankruptcy Court in Manhattan. The U.S. Treasury Department said the government probably won't recover much, if any, of the $2.3 billion in taxpayer money that went to Citi, uh, which is exactly opposite of what Ben Bernanke and right. uh, that other guy looks like, Barton Fink. What's mm-hmm. his name? And the um, Republican and Democratic leadership both told us we would make money yes. on this deal. Yes. Uh, the bankruptcy will allow Citi to continue... To provide funding to our small business and middle market customers. Um, boy, I, I want to rip that statement apart, but in the interest of time, I won't. Mm-hmm. C- CIT, which filed the fifth largest bankruptcy by assets, says it plans to exit to exit quickly due to support from bondholders who voted in favor of a so-called prepackaged plan. None of CIT's operating subsidiaries. Uh, including Utah-based CIT Bank, were included in the filing, and operations will proceed as normal, CIT said in a statement. CIT had $1 billion from investor Carl Eichen to fund operations while it, re, uh, while it reorganizes. The credit line to be drawn on until December 31st will be a so-called debtor-in-possession loan. It also expanded its $3 billion credit facility by another $4.5 billion on October 28th. Hmm. That's a big bankruptcy right there. Yeah, this is more circling the drain, right? This is like a national. This is this is like that one's so that one's so big at circling the drain, it's like gonna get stuck. Mm-hmm. So would it be a good idea for our listeners to maybe get out of debt, cut back their purchases if a you, little bit? Man, if you are not seriously seriously working on paying off all your credit cards, getting out of debt, reducing your lifestyle, learning how to make bacon from pork belly. Okay, well that's just me, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, working all that stuff, you have got to be crazy. The Lord has given us a time to get our act together. Mm-hmm. A slight reprieve, but it won't last forever. Mm-hmm. Well, I know our time's getting away. Can I read one? It's about a page and a half. But Please do. This is a little more traditional future quake kind of material. Mm-hmm. I read this because it's in line with what we've had the last few weeks about um, that we really don't know what goes on in our government, and it's an era of deception of Revelation 17 that you always need to keep in mind when you listen to government pronouncements in the news. Mm -hmm. Here's a historical perspective. This was from Steve Gillen, who is sort of the resident historian for the History Channel. Okay. Okay, In one of his columns. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says, this month will mark the 46th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. A recently declassified oral history by Brigadier General Godfrey McHugh, President Kennedy's military aide on the Dallas trip, sheds new light on the critical hours after the shooting. McHugh makes startling claims about Lyndon Johnson's behavior in the wake of the assassination. Whoa. The interview with McHugh, originally conducted for the John F. Kennedy Library in 1978, remained closed for 31 years. It was finally declassified in the spring of 2009. I just happened to be working at the Kennedy Library on the day the interview was open to the public. 
Uh, and he's used it for his new book, The Kennedy Assassination, 24 Hours After. After being informed at Parkland Hospital that Kennedy was dead, Johnson raced back to Air Force One where he waited for Mrs. Kennedy and the body of the slain president and made preparations to take the oath of office. Back at the hospital, the Kennedy group loaded the body into the coffin, forced their way past a local justice of the peace, and hurried back to Love Field for the long ride back to Washington. It was standard practice for the plane to take off as soon as the commander-in-chief was on board. Even after McHugh had ordered the pilot to take off, however, nothing happened. According to the newly declassified transcript, Mrs. Kennedy became, was becoming desperate to leave. Um, and he says Mrs. Kennedy was getting very warm. She had blood over her hat, uh, her coat. Even his brains were sticking on her hat. It was dreadful, McHugh said. She pleaded with him to get the plane off the ground. Please, let's leave, she said. McHugh jumped up and used the phone near the rear compartment to call Captain James Swindle. Let's leave, he said. Swindle responded, I can't do it. I have orders to wait. Not wanting to make a scene in front of Mrs. Kennedy, McHugh rushed onto the front of the plane. Swindle, what on earth is going on? The pilot told him that the president wants to remain in this area. McHugh, like most members of the Kennedy entourage, did not know that Johnson was on board. They believed that the new president was on his own plane flying back to Washington. If LBJ was on the plane, McHugh wanted to see for himself. Since he had not seen Johnson in the aisle, uh, and who was a hard person to miss, McHugh assumed that he must have been in the bedroom. When he checked there, Johnson was nowhere to be seen. The only place on the plane he had not inspected was the bathroom in the presidential bedroom. What McHugh claimed of witness next was shocking. I walked in the toilet in the powder room, and there he was hiding, with the curtain closed, McHugh recalled. He claimed that LBJ was crying, they're going to get us all. It's a plot. It's a plot. It's going to get us all. According to the general, Johnson was hysterical, sitting down on the john there alone in this thing. I soon discovered Whoa. that McHugh uh, had told a similar story when he spoke by phone with Mark Flanagan, an investigator with the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Ironically, McHugh gave the interview to the HSCA a week before he sat down with the Kennedy Library in May 1978. Uh, McHugh had encountered difficulty in locating Johnson, but finally discovered him alone, Flanagan wrote in his summary to the committee. Quoting McHugh, the investigator noted that the general found Johnson hiding in the toilet in the bedroom compartment and muttering, Conspiracy, conspiracy, they're after all of us. Author Christopher, <laughs> uh, author Christopher Anderson claimed that McHugh shared a similar, although slightly more dramatic version of this story when he interviewed the general uh, for the book Jackie After Jack, published in 1998. If true, the story is explosive and reveals a completely different side of Johnson than the collected calm presence he otherwise managed to convey throughout the hours and days following Kennedy's death. But how credible is McHugh's account? It is, of course, impossible to confirm or deny whether a private encounter took place between the two men, both of whom are now dead. There are a number of reasons to doubt McHugh's claim. The general intensely disliked Johnson and was fiercely loyal to JFK, uh, therefore, had some reason to invent such a story. Most glaring, McHugh made no mention of what was surely a very memorable encounter in his long interview with William Manchester in 1964. It also stands to reason that if McHugh had wished, witnessed Johnson in a state of utter breakdown, he would have told the story to others within the Kennedy camp. Surely, given how potentially damaging the story was to LBJ, Kennedy partisans would have leaked it to the media at some point. Although That's it was pretty weak. Yeah, although it's possible to prove, my gut reaction is that McHugh is telling the truth. 
We know that Johnson was a man capable of dramatic mood swings and occasional fits of hysteria were not unusual. McHugh's account of JLBJ's behavior is similar to RFK's description of a trembling and tearful Johnson at the 1960 Democratic Convention when it appeared that JFK might renege on his promise to include him on the ticket. It was not surprising behavior to those who knew him best. We al- yeah, we also know from some eyewitnesses that LBJ's Secret Service agent, Rufus Youngblood, stood outside the door to the bedroom and controlled the traffic into the room. Aides went in and out, but it is possible that McHugh could have found LBJ alone in the bedroom suit. If true, though, why did McHugh wait until 78 to tell this story? When Manchester interviewed him in May 64, McHugh was still in the military, although only a few months away from retirement. Is it as possible he worried the story would be too damaging to his commander-in-chief? We'll never know for sure, but McHugh's account is sure to add to the controversy surrounding that tragic day in Dallas. Sorry, that was long. Oops, that was my jaw. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about that? Whoa! That's LBJ. Now, you know, this is a guy, you know, he tried to be fair here. He's a brigadier general. Mm -hmm. Godfrey McHugh, Kennedy's military aide on the Dallas trip. Mm -hmm. And he said, let me just say it again. Here's what he says LBJ said. They're going to get us all. It's a plot. It's a plot. It's going to get us all. And his other thing he said was conspiracy, conspiracy. They're after all of us. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I got to go. I got to put my job back in place after that one. So LBJ is also one of those nutty conspiracy theorists too, evidently. Yeah, you're crazy LBJ. Well, actually, he is kind of crazy to be completely right. But was he crazy about this? Maybe not. Anybody who studied the weird stuff of the LB, uh, the uh, Kennedy assassination mm-hmm. knows that even if somebody had picked up a little bit of it on that day, yep. they would know something's up. Oh, yeah. Of course, Russ Baker had a few a little bit to say about that a couple weeks One ago. One or too. two things. Yeah. Yep. Sorry that took a little time. We've got about a minute. Okay. Anything you want to share? Natural news. Approximately 200 soldiers have suffered from serious and even life-threatening complications from the government-mandated smallpox vaccine, and one has even died. Starting in 2002, fears over a bioterrorist attack have led the U.S. government to require that all military service personnel receive vaccination against a variety of diseases before being deployed, including anthrax and smallpox. An estimated 1.7 million have been vaccinated against smallpox since then. Yet in a number of cases, the vaccine has led to severe complications such as inflammations to the the brain or heart. In 2003, two expert panels concluded that the Army Specialist Rachel Ray, not the cooking Mm -hmm. show lady, died in in part due to complications from deployment vaccines that she had been given. Uh, The reality is we're never going to have zero risk on a vaccine. Uh, Dr. Michael Kilpatrick of the military health system is always going to be that individual that has some untoward event that will occur. Okay. Well, we got to wrap it up there. Yep. Uh, next week, remind me, I want to read about the uh, British nuclear expert that was uh, pushed out the 17th floor yeah, of the UN building. Yeah, it was not a suicide. That was monitoring nuclear activity that mm-hmm. they're saying is not a suicide. Well, no. you know, it's interesting. Uh, just real quickly, we have to get out of here, but this has become a whole thing. Bi- uh, a nuclear mm-hmm. nuclear scientist and biologic, biological scientists dying in quote-unquote mm-hmm. suicides. Sounds like a good show. Yeah. Someone else is good is Merv. He can tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're down like 10 seconds. All right, let's get out of here then. A lot of stuff going on. Woohoo! Jesus is king. Yeah. Let's keep our army in gear moving forward. Charge. We love you, everybody. Come back next week. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.